You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew. I'm excited to have Lori Mitchell-Keller from her beach house today speaking about scaling industry and vertical teams. Lori, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Asher. I'm so excited to be here. But now that you said beach house, people are going to be thinking about the sun and, and the sand and not listening necessarily to what I'm saying, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a Friday. We all need to have a fun, relaxed conversation and learn about things, you know. So yeah. can you share with us a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Wow. That's pretty open-ended. Okay. So uh, let's see. In In one minute or less, Yes. So I uh, started out uh, in, in engineering, um, writing actually supply chain software for uh, customized uh, solutions for logistics companies. And then ultimately did a lot of different supply chain uh, things, customer service, quality control, um, production planning, inventory management. And at some point I thought, you know, I want to do marketing, whatever marketing is. And so I got my MBA and um, was looking around and joined a small supply chain software company. At the time, they didn't really care if you knew technology or software. They just cared if you knew the domain and you could talk to the customers about what they were wanting, um, what problems they were wanting to solve. And so was at that company for about six or seven years, then joined um, SAP, a large enterprise software company, um, started out running their supply chain business and manufacturing business, and then ultimately was running industries for them. And then was having a grand old time. And Rob Inslin, who had moved to Google Cloud a couple of years earlier, called me out of the blue and said, hey, we're thinking about starting an industries organization. Do you want to come create it and run it? I wasn't necessarily excited at the time because I was doing great at SAP, but you know the culture of Google Cloud and Google in general is just um, wow. It's just joy, uh, collaboration, support. It's a hard job because we're growing so so fast. We're the fastest growing part of Google right now, but it's super fun, super fun. So I've been at Google Cloud now for almost a year. I actually think uh, my year anniversary is next week. Congrats. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's like, like I always tell people, I'm like, okay, you are going to make a few changes in your career. Just optimize for fun if you can first. And sounds like that's <laughs> what you did. And, uh, fun and, and a ton of work. Fun and yeah. a ton of work. <laughs> well, that comes with, the, that just comes with the, with the role, right? Like you're not going to be able to avoid work. It, it's just a, it's just a fact. So great. So I want to double down on what you just said. Like, you know, Rob called you up and said, "Hey, we're going to start a industry team." And so, mm-hmm. can you let's let's start with like defining what an industry or vertical team is and then and then unpack like how does one even think about that or why does one think about starting one? And let's start the conversation there, please. Yeah. So, it's interesting because I think that um, the industry organization is not 
in existence in every software company out there. A lot of software companies are now starting to understand that with the industry dimension, you're actually talking to customers on their terms in their language. And the problems in CPG are sometimes you know, similar to those in life sciences, but there are some very distinct differences, for instance. So um, the opportunity at Google Cloud when I came here a year ago, they had sort of started um, doing industries, but it's so much fun coming in and actually creating an organization like you know it needs to be run as opposed to getting an organization and just being able to tweak it. So I was able to really build the team from the ground up. And at the at the core of it, the industry's team is really responsible for three primary things. The first is, you know, we have sellers that have sold to retail for, you know, decades, but they've never actually been in retail. And so it's a very different conversation with a CEO or a CFO or the C-suite when you've actually been in a retailer, actually run a P&L, um, a part of a retailer, and then now come into software. So the people that I'm hiring are deep domain executives in their industries, very similar to how I got into software, right? I didn't know software. I didn't know technology necessarily well, but I knew supply chain backwards and forwards and what supply chain executives around the world were thinking about. And so those are the types of people I'm hiring for industries. And we're covering right now primarily nine um, industries, retail, CPG, financial services, which is really banking and insurance, um, healthcare and life sciences, um, telco media, entertainment and gaming, supply chain and logistics, manufacturing. So about nine primary industries. We also um, run public sector. That's just not part of my job. Uh, another gentleman in um, Google Cloud runs public sector. And so there's that whole credibility piece of being able to go into a company and really speak the language and say, have more of a been there, done that kind of conversation. Let me help you to understand how Google can help you as opposed to these are all the things that Google has and which ones of them should we sell you today, right? So a really different conversation. So the first part of the industry job is just really being able to connect with the customer, not only to provide the credibility from um, that Google Cloud knows their industry, but also to really start to understand what are the big problems or the big rocks, as we sometimes call them, that are out there that are unsolved or haven't been solved well, right? So to be clear... Google Cloud doesn't want to be another Oracle SAP, you know, transactional vendor. We want to use our, you know, unique um, world-class artificial intelligence and machine learning capabilities, AI, ML, to solve problems that either have not been solved before or have been solved not really well. So demand forecasting is a super easy example. Everybody knows what forecasting is uh, usually. And the algorithms that we've been using to solve um Forecasting are the same ones we've been using for decades, right? There's been no change. But if you think about it and step back, there's lots of new um, pieces of data, traffic um, information, weather information, et cetera, that make a big difference on, on your forecast. And why aren't we using machine learning to actually create and uh, the forecast as opposed to you know, academic algorithms that have been out there forever. So the couple um, of customers that we've started piloting our new demand AI capability uh, with are seeing dramatic increases in forecast accuracy. And every point of forecast accuracy is typically millions of dollars of savings in inventory. So those are the types of problems that we're trying to solve. You know, anti-money laundering is probably another example because, yes. you know, 
the solutions that are out there have really high false positive and false negative rates. It's just the way it works. But if you can actually reduce the false positives and reduce the false negatives, you have a massive amount of human capital that you open up that doesn't have to be researching all these things. So the two banks that we're piloting that solution with have seen, you know, tens of points dramatically uh, reduced in terms of false positives on um, their animal laundering solution, which is a ton of money for them in terms of their operation. So those are the types of things that we want to solve um, and be able to, you know, help customers move along the journey of being more digital, being more transformative, not just automation where you, you know, automate like uh, processes like accounts receivable or accounts payable, but actually truly a transformational where you can now do services and business models that you weren't able to do before, either because you're opening up, um, you know, more resources because the transformational digital capabilities are doing them for you or because you have better forecasting or better anyone laundering solutions, et cetera. So that's the first piece of sort of the credibility piece. Mm-hmm. But the other really big part of the job is deciding what Google Cloud is going to build. So based upon you know, the customer conversations we have, based upon the own experience of the executives that I'm hiring, as well as um, you know, what we see in, you know, market research and what our competitors are doing, we need to build a roadmap, right? We need to help our engineers understand what they should build. And so that's another um, part of the industry solutions job, which is a really critical part, not always seen um, in the market. It's not as customer facing, but is just as critical because if we want to solve those big challenges, we've actually got to build the solution to do it. And um, so deciding what those big challenges are and the solutions Um, to solve them and the rank of those and the priority of those and how many resources are we going to put on those um, is the domain of the industry organization as well, obviously in partnership with the engineering organization. So sales, engineering, industry solutions, we all work really closely together. Sounds like a lot of pizza and beer. I just joke and say that. (laughs) (laughs) If we could actually see each other. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Being a computer scientist myself, like I remember the days when you know sales teams would just come and be like, "Hey, we just sold this. Can you build this in a weekend?" And I'm like, "Yes. How much pizza and beer can you offer to us?" Yeah, and, exactly, exactly. And, you know, and, and with COVID, I would say you know there are a lot of things that um, that we've had to pivot on really quickly, and that companies have had to pivot on really quickly. Yes. So you know, if you think of the insurance um, industry, for instance, right, there was already a move to trying to go more digital. But with COVID, right, sending agents out to, you know, every crash site or, you know, take pictures of cars doesn't necessarily make sense, right? So we worked with USAA, for instance, to totally transform their claims process, right, which was a really mundane manual process um, led by agents, right? And they came out to, um, you know, the the accident um, to help and, you know, take pictures or whatever. But you know, the, the interesting thing there is you can use technology to do most of that heavy lifting, right? You can, as long as you have some pictures of the, the you know, the driver could take themselves and be able to, you know, upload and process those. I mean, we, we worked with USAA to, to figure out that process very, very quickly. And the result was, you know, a reduction in, in time to payment for the customer from, you know, months to sometimes minutes and, and you know, seconds. So 
a totally different you know process. You know, PNG is another um, great example, right? Particularly um, with the pandemic, PNG was really trying to understand how they could continue to get a more personalized relationship with their consumers. And you know, the legacy databases that they had were were not designed to support. Um, the level of data and the flexibility needed, and the you know changes in uh, how much customers were buying and how they were buying you know PNG yep. products in various outlets um, was dramatically changed, right? So what we helped PNG do pretty quickly is take all that siloed data and bring it together so that they could better um, do analytics and machine learning on the data to understand how were the consumption patterns changing, how did they need to stock. Um, their retail outlets differently. So, you know, that seamless experience with the customer and the ability to make help, you know, grocers to avoid stockouts was a huge, um, a huge uh, thing for them. So there were lots of new problems, I would say, that came up as part of COVID and um, in the pandemic. And to your point, Without pizza and beer, you still have to pivot pretty quickly and, yes. and um, you know build solutions. Sometimes, um, just you know, in weeks, but in terms of what would normally take a lot longer. And it sounds like the stuff that you, uh, industry teams work on has has all has to be thought of as built for scale mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. from day one. You're not experimenting; you're solutioning and solving, but think at scale. Is yeah. that the right way to think about it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly um, the industry solutions team with our engineers and with our professional services organization um, you know, does some of these um, you know, quick solutions, like the one that I mentioned um, with USAA. There's another you know, example uh, with Humana um, in terms of helping them to understand the massive amount of calls that they were getting and what those calls were really related to and routing them appropriately as opposed to, you know, just directing them um, right into customer service. I mean, the, the volume was just huge. I mentioned PNG, you know, Albertsons had a, a similar thing where they were trying to roll out, you know, this rapid response agent again to the call volume that they were getting was just enormous. So I think that we ultimately need to solve at scale, but we also need to understand what are those challenges that our customers are facing. And sometimes there's a challenge that one customer is facing that other customers haven't hit yet, but they ultimately will. And that's a great opportunity where we can build a solution. I mean, all the solutions that I mentioned would be applicable to other companies in those sectors. And so it's always a great experience when we can partner with a customer and build something that is industry-wide, but we're going to work with that customer to build it first. And that gives us a great um, opportunity to, you know, train the, train the machine learning models and, you know, really deploy the uh, level of technology that we need to. But at the end of the day, um, yeah. we are a for-profit company. And so the idea is, yes, build solutions um, that can handle massive amounts of data at scale that can deploy to a lot of different companies in, in a particular industry. And some folks on this that are going to be in the audience are responsible for the top line. Mm-hmm. And would it be safe to say that when somebody like a Bob Benson says, hey, you know, we're starting to think about this thing, they're actually trying to think of like, I have a goal to hit and what are other things that I can do to serve other customers in special, specific ways. So I do need to start an industry team, just like 
some execs would say, well, let's go look at partnerships, right? And yep. let's create this partnerships channel, right? And then mm-hmm. industry solutions is another way. It's a specialized way, just like partnerships is, right? Um, to, to then unlock more revenue for your business. Yeah, I absolutely think it's, um, you know, working on industry solutions is a top line uh, impact. I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned the partner organization because we do have a very strong partner organization at um, Google Cloud. But the interesting thing is many of the partners want to talk in the industry lens. And so I mentioned sales engineering and industry um, solutions before, but partnerships is also a very um, large part of that. Not only do we want to you know, use partners to implement our solutions, but we also want to use them to help our customers understand the capabilities that we have from an industry perspective. And many of the larger systems integrators are actually starting industry practices um, if they don't have them already. And so the industry lens, it's interesting, covers almost every dimension of the company, just in a little bit different way. Yeah. That's what I was gauging too. It sounds like this is a go-to-market decision, not just a, um, a cost of goods sold decision, which is like, hey, yeah. let's just start this, outsource this to some partners, make our customers happy. But it's actually a meaningful value-based step where it says, hey, yeah, we're in this for the long term and we're going to deliver this and we're going to win, but earn as well. Yeah. You know, one of the reasons um, ultimately that I decided to, to come to Google Cloud, um, I mentioned the the culture earlier, and that was certainly a huge, huge part of it. And culture is really important to me. Um, but in the interview process, Thomas Kurian, who's the CEO of Google Cloud, said to me, you know, Lori, we're growing, you know, 50% year over year. We're having, you know, just a wonderful run. And we will continue to grow. But if I want to actually accelerate the growth or even keep pace with the growth, it has to be more than just infrastructure, more than just compute storage security network. It has to be real business problems that people are trying to solve. And um, and so I think he was thinking about industry solutions long before um, some of the other cloud vendors were. And, um, and it's true. I will say that oftentimes when we go into customers and we're trying to solve those big industry problems, there is a pull-through effect oftentimes with the cloud infrastructure. I mean, obviously all of our solutions are built on the Google mm-hmm. Cloud platform, yep. um, notwithstanding that Google itself um, very much embraces the hybrid cloud or the multi-cloud um, concept where, you know, a customer might be deploying different clouds. Um, so we're not in a rip and replace type of environment, but the industry solutions themselves are oftentimes, you know, where the conversation starts. And then um, the conversation ultimately ends at, you know, well, how do we deploy it? And, you know, what infrastructure should we use? Yeah, no, right. Is um, I let's pivot a little bit towards a little bit of the tactical side of this thing. I'm really curious because there's other folks who are going to be listening to this that are going to get inspiration from mm-hmm. what you've just shared to go build their teams yeah. and yeah. and and one of the reasons you went to Google Cloud is so you could actually build it your yeah. own way. And yeah. so. Could could you tell us a little bit about or educate us a little bit about like how to think about the teams, the components of the teams um, as much as you possibly can so people can get a head start? Yeah. So I think that, you know, when you're thinking about an industry team, you need to really think about, A, what are the skill sets that you need? And also really have an eye to hiring very diverse talent. So what I mean by that is, 
we have the executive leaders for each one of the industry solutions, as I mentioned, um, that have usually a very broad um, set of experiences in that industry, not just with, a, you know, for for retail, you know, the person that's leading retail has experience in grocery and she has experience in department stores and she has experience in fashion and she has experience in big box. So usually the vertical leader has the broadest view of that particular industry. But then we also need a lot of depth for a particular industry. So we need, you know, people that have spent their life in grocery. I mean, grocery is an interesting um, sub-vertical because grocers don't like to buy from anybody except people that really, really understand grocery. So we, you have to have, you know, those sub-verticals built out as well. And then you need some technical talent to translate, you know, what is the solution that we want to build and how would that get built um, in order to be able to um, have that conversation with engineering, right? So you need people that are, you know, everywhere from high-level business executives to maybe mid-level executives that really understand one particular sub-vertical and then some technical people to help translate that. So the talent itself is the key to, to the um, organization. I mean, it's, just, it's true almost in every organization, but those teams have to have those different skills, those different perspectives, those different experiences in order to really be um, innovative. And the, the, conversations that happen between the person that's really, really deep in grocery um, with the person that's really, really deep in big box. Those are really fascinating conversations. And there is actually more commonality across the verticals than people typically think if you're just looking at the surface. So to really build those differentiated um, solutions, those unique solutions, we really need, um, you know, a lot of different um, people, right? So it's interesting if you take the healthcare example too. People think healthcare, a health health systems, but healthcare is actually life sciences companies, um, health systems, providers like insurance companies, um, you know, med tech and med devices. So there's a lot of different pieces to when we say healthcare life sciences. It's not just health systems and life sciences companies. It's you know lots of different companies. So that's the first thing, right? That really around the talent. Maybe the second thing is. Um, I sort of alluded to it. It's really important to try to identify those common commonalities across industries. So there are common pieces, not just across sub-verticals within one industry, but also across multiple industries. So I mentioned demand forecasting earlier. Certainly the way that you forecast in a retailer is slightly different than the way that you would forecast in CPG or life sciences or other manufacturing companies, but there's a lot of similarity a lot of similarity. And so to the extent that you can focus first on those solutions that are going to have an impact across multiple verticals to really get the momentum going if you're first starting an organization, um, that's key. And I, I think that maybe the last thing is, you know, don't be afraid to sort of act on what I'd call game-changing opportunities, right? So at Google in general, right, we always are trying to leapfrog um, with technology and unblock um, potentials, not just across industries, but, you know, in, in many of our consumer solutions, right? And sometimes that, 
you know, it, it feels like maybe you're going too fast. I mean, 5G is a great opportunity, right? It's top of our list at the moment. We've been investing really heavily in building out a team um, to support our vision for it. And certainly telco companies, you know, have this enormous potential, um, right, to harness the power of 5G, but it's not just a connectivity solution, right? It also can become um, a business services platform, right? So we've started working with customers across all of our industries to understand how could 5G be really transformational for the processes that run their enterprises. So, you know, that's a sort of game changing. I mean, we're all looking at 5G in terms of speed and connectivity, but are we really looking at it in terms of how it might change fundamental business processes um, for companies? I mean, in manufacturing, for instance, um, if we think of factory of the future and, you know, autonomous transportation and remote healthcare, all of those things could be um, really powered um, by um, 5G transformation. So those are maybe the top three things that I'd say are important to think about. And and I want to dive into the the executive leaders comment there too, Bid, right? And so these are like, like, and I've hung out with some folks from another cloud company in in San Francisco where they they deploy these folks as uh, as architects and these are like CIOs you know that are that are in the company right and so the uh, the but but the one thing that you said which actually like piqued my interest was so you have people on staff let's say who have owned a PNL in these verticals right right and right. knowing operators right they are a special breed they like to operate right so mm-hmm. what would, where, like, like, why would an operator, like, pause operating and kind of go into consulting, right? That's kind of like the shift. Like, maybe I'm not thinking about it, but, but I just thought of, like, like, this person who's in the journey. They're like, oh, I've been operating this amazing business over and over again. I'm used to working with, like, 5,000 people. And now I have to stop that and join Lori's team, right? So what yeah. what phase are they going through that this becomes an exi- exciting opportunity for them? It's a great question, right? Because it's it's part of every single conversation I have with um, the executives that I'm hiring. And sometimes I'm actually surprised that they want to come, right? Um, I think part of it, just to be you know very candid, is Google's a sexy brand, right? So people like the idea of, wow, I'm going to work at Google. But more than that, I think... All of these folks, whether I'm, you know, whether I don't have, I don't think any CIOs on my on my team at the highest level. I've got CDOs, I've got CMOs, I've got executive vice presidents, I've got vice chairmen. Um, but I think the the piece for them is it is a fork in the road, but it's not a permanent fork in the road. By that I mean the experiences that you're going to gain by understanding technology, understanding the move to cloud, understanding AIML, understanding how customers across your vertical are thinking about their businesses and where they think they need to go. That knowledge and those skill sets that you're going to build in that process makes you even more valuable in the industry if you decide to go back to it. So it is a definite fork. I mean, the people that I'm hiring typically have thousands of people that have reported to them and they've now got a few dozen um, they've typically had very, very high titles, but Google Cloud itself is, you know, is very much a startup. We've only been around for five or six years. And so we act like a startup. Titles are not huge. Um, teams are not huge. Responsibility is huge. Um, but 
I think at the end of the day, the reason that people make the decision is it's sort of like a once in a lifetime opportunity to come to an organization, build out part of the industry, really be here when it's so transformational. Like technology is, is, you know, gaining so much um, growth and uh, getting more and more specialized that the opportunity to be part of that and to really understand it um, is, is really intriguing. And I don't think that the people that I hire are staying here, you know, 10 years, I think they're here three, four, you know, years. I mean, everybody makes changes in their career. They may decide to, you know, to come to Google cloud and go to another part of Google. That's I think also what's uh, intriguing about Google is that we have so many different businesses that there's a lot of opportunity in terms of changes in your career that you can have throughout Google. But again, I think, you know, many of my leaders after a few years will decide to go back to industry and the, the value. I mean, think about somebody that's been, you know, running a PL um, in an insurance company and now understands all of the technology and the ways that that insurance company can transform and what other insurance companies are thinking in the industry. I mean, that's huge. That's huge in terms of your value back in um, your, your home uh, vertical, if you will. Yeah. I mean, sounds to me that this is an opportunity for, for executives to digitally transform themselves yeah, before they yeah. help digitally transform other, other, other companies. Great. Because great- so much of the world has to evolve to the cloud. And so if they work uh, with you and all the other execs that you have on staff, then there's this collective learning and then there's a collective impact because this thing is going to go on for another 12, 15, 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And to your point, right, they're really digitally transforming themselves um, while they're digitally transforming the business. And so yeah. you know, the value of, of their brand, their personal brand, um, goes up exponentially, I think, based upon these types of experiences. Fantastic. And so I, I have to ask you, because we've talked about scale so much in this podcast, right? Like when you go to like scale your team, right? And, and that's going to happen, right? Like, like, like you're already in a role. TK said, hey, we're going to go 50%. With your help, we're going to go 70%. And so just plan for this, right? And right. Right. having been through like multiple fast growing companies myself, you can't ever just plan for it, right? It just hits you and you have to use your best judgment to go for it, right? But right. I'm sure you have some amazing lessons in like scaling your teams because the people you're hiring for are not like raising their hands. They're like really busy doing their stuff and yeah. then the, you have to bring a bunch of them together. Right, right, absolutely. I mean, I think the the first several months I was here, pretty much all I was doing was interviewing. That's an exaggeration because there were a lot of things I, I recognized that needed to be fixed. And so I started about fixing yep. them, but at the same time I had, you know, just a ton of interviewing that I was doing. And, you know, these people are not only not necessarily raising their hand, um, but they're hard to find They're I mean, there's not, you know, I'm, I'm not looking for just any run of the mill CDO of a retail company, right. I'm looking for the best in class, um, super talented um, executives. And so the the interesting thing is, you know, all of us get calls from recruiters all the time. And most of them we never answer. I will say, though, that almost every time that Google calls, people answer. And um, 
I think it's just sort of the curiosity about what Google is doing and maybe the curiosity of, well, what would I do at Google, right? I'm, I'm this, you know, chief uh, executive at a bank. What would I do at Google, right? So I think we, we get a higher hit rate in terms of people um, answering our calls when we're, we're out for a search. Um, but then, you know, the real part has to start after that in terms of helping them to understand why this is a great opportunity for them, as I mentioned before. Very good. All right. Um, you've shared with us why industry teams are important. How do you think about building them? Why senior execs or even, let's say, early execs who are listening to this podcast, when they get to that level, there are other opportunities for them because every one of us at some point in time thinks about, well, what am I going to do for the next five years? Because some yeah. of us, or yeah. at least a lot of people, mostly yeah. the people that I talk to get lucky earlier on and then they're thinking well yeah. what do i do after this right and so there's yeah. got to be some opportunities other than just go sitting on boards of companies and advising them again this type of role be a little bit more specific and go develop something that would have a lasting impact yeah absolutely absolutely you know it's funny because i think that developers and engineering people always want to make sure that they're building solutions that people actually use the same is for my team, right? They want to identify those opportunities and those solutions that are going to make a big difference um, in companies. And you know, if they go back to the industry, solutions that they would want to use themselves. So um, it's sort of a full circle in many ways. Fantastic. All right, let's move to uh, I would say uber tactical section of this uh, this podcast. <laughs> Is, is there a book or a blog or a newsletter or a website or a video that you would recommend to our audience? I know that these are like 7,000 emerging or senior execs who listen to this thing. And so is there something that you can give to us so that people can actually take something away from this podcast? Yeah. So, you know, there's a, a whole plethora of great business books, right? Um, but the book that I have read recently in the last year that really made a difference in my life was um, a book called How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. Um, you know, he wrote The Innovator's Dilemma that everybody's familiar with. And, and probably people on the, many people on the podcast have heard of the, his book, um, How Will You Measure Your Life? And, you know, sadly that he's not with us anymore. But the thing I loved about the book is it was a business book in many ways because it took business concepts and business principles and really looked at it in terms of how it applies to your life in general, right? So one of the things that um, I really took a, two huge takeaways for me, but one of them that I think everybody can relate to is, you know, what makes you happy in your job is not what Clayton called the hygiene factors, hygiene factors being compensation level, title, those aren't the things that actually make you happy. What makes you happy is the work that you're doing and the people that you work with and if it's satisfying work. Now, those hygiene factors can make you dissatisfied with the job, but they're not the thing that actually makes you satisfied with the job. They have to be right, but the thing that makes you want to stay in the job and have the job is those. what really is the job and what level of satisfaction are you going to get for, from it and what challenges are you going to have personally. So that really made a difference. I mean, there's so many other lessons in that book. It's just a great read. It's an easy read. But, you know, we all work so hard. And I don't think that you always think about, you know, what do you want to actually measure in terms of making sure that you're living a, a great life to the extent that you can. 
So that's my oh, recommendation. How would you how would you measure your life? Yeah, no, this is this is great. Every now and then, and again, especially when you are switching jobs, you mm-hmm. definitely should take some time to just pause. You know, I did yeah. that the last time yeah. I moved moved, and I took three months off, and mm-hmm. uh, and I I spent. Uh, a month of it at Sanford, hanging out with other COOs. And it was great yeah. because yeah. there's like CEOs from around the world. And it was, it was so cool to just understand and know and see how they're tackling with the mm-hmm. cultural and the economic hardships that they have to go through, yet still are made, building amazing businesses that impact right. people's lives. Um, right. All of this is av- available if you if you choose to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. Okay, Great. All right. Uh, the next one is actually a slightly fun one uh, because we get to share the stage with other folks. And so we always ask our, our guests to name two or three other folks who they respect in either go-to-market or data science uh, that they would they recommend we bring onto the show. So do you have a couple of names for us uh, to people that we could give a high five to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kristen Cliphouse, who runs um, North America for Google Cloud, is just a phenomenal leader. Um, so she would definitely be on the top of my list. Uh, Mala Anand, who I uh, worked for at SAP for a short period of time, who's now actually um, leading um, customer success at Microsoft, um, would be a great one. Um, Rob Thomas, who I worked with a long time ago, but now runs um, development and um, and data science at Manhattan, is also a good person that you might want to reach out to. All of those. I mean, I could I could go on and on. I've had so many great people that I've worked with throughout my career, but those are two that um, two or three that popped to the top of my mind. Or it sounds like we just need to like throw a sponsored event at your beach, just invite all these people to it, and just record <laughs> exactly. fifty podcasts. Exactly, it would be so yeah. fun. <laughs> we, we, we could have our own educational conference and invite other people to exactly. it. And exactly. <laughs> the next thing you know, we have our own tribe going. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So well, this has been this has been great. Uh, thank you for educating me, uh, sharing the wealth of experience that you have with uh, with the the our our audience. Uh, if people wanted to get get in touch with you, I know you're an extremely busy executive. Uh, what would be the best way for them to get in touch with you? And I say this because there's other uh, aspiring female executives around the world, and and they need they need help. And I, even though like somebody like me would like to help them, but coming from <laughs> you, it would mean way more. You know. Well, Azure has been super fun. It's been super fun. So thanks for the invitation. Um, people can easily reach me on LinkedIn. I, I check it pretty often. Um, I think think I'm on the only Lori Mitchell-Keller um, on LinkedIn. So you can find me there. Perfect. Well, once again, thank you so much for coming out of this show. Uh, have a great rest of the day and a, a great weekend and best of luck on your journey. Hey, thanks so much, Asher. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.